Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. I mean, it got to the point where, like, I don't think, like, we were even welcome at family reunions <laughs> because we can participate in three quarters of the conversation, which was all centered around Avatar. How many times <laughs> I said, wait, you still haven't seen it? You still haven't seen it? Yeah. As we shouted, no spoilers, and ran out because we knew we would eventually watch it. <laughs> you have to watch Avatar. Welcome to another episode of Phantology. This is a little bit of a special episode. I'm Josh, and I'm filling in for Stephen on host duties. And I am here with all my wonderful in-laws. I have my wife, Mackenzie. Hey. I have uh, Mackenzie's brother and my brother-in-law, Preston. Hi. And I have Preston's wife, Brooklyn. Hi. So we're all kind of um, on a little family tree here. And this is appropriate because they are the only reason that I have now listened to or watched Avatar. Yeah, they, uh, my family has all watched it and talk very highly of it. And so finally, Josh and I were like, okay, we need to, we need to watch this so we can be part of the conversation. So we finally watched it. I mean, it got to the point where like, I don't think like we were even welcome at family reunions <laughs> because we can participate in three quarters of the conversation, which was all centered around Avatar. How many times <laughs> I said, wait, you still haven't seen it? You still haven't seen it? Yeah. As we shouted, no spoilers and ran out because we knew we would eventually watch it. <laughs> you have to watch Avatar. In your defense, in your defense, I will say that for a lot of people, um, it, because it's a, an animated series, people don't usually give it the weight that it really deserves. I think people are usually put off because they think, oh, you know, it's just a kid's show. It's just an animated series. And it's hard for people to give it a chance and actually think and actually like, I don't know, take it, take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. I have to admit, we were pretty skeptical going in because you guys had talked so highly of it. We were like, <laughs> Man, we, our, our expectations, like, I don't know. I didn't think that they were going to meet what you guys had talked about because, yeah, being animated and we didn't think we'd really get into it. So I was pleasantly surprised how good it was. Yeah. And um, I never really got into Avatar in the first wave of things. Um, I think I was just a little too old for it. I know, Preston, you're older than me. But you had little siblings, which I did not have any little siblings. There's no excuse. I just have, you know, I'm just Preston's immature. Because <laughs> I, I actually am in our family. I'll claim this. I'm the OG. I'm the one who liked it first. So that's before partially Hayden. before Hayden. I, uh, I started watching it when I was 17 and I'm 31 now. <laughs> and so I, uh, it, it was a long time ago. And Hayden started watching it with me. He's eight years younger than me. So he would have been, what, nine years old when, when we started watching it together. I started watching it my first semester of college. And I think it was a little bit of a trying to balance that. Am I an adult? Am I a kid? You know, I, I would watch it on my downtime at my first college job. And uh, when I had a disappointment in college, I wasn't able to do something I really wanted to do. I went home and I, I binged the the last um, the last season of Avatar, and so I, I I often associate it with that like coming of age of like becoming an independent adult. 
so that's that's always what I uh, what I think of Avatar is when I first start watching it. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. I think we can all agree that the last season is pretty bingeable. We're not doing spoilers yet, but Mackenzie and I for sure binged the last season. Oh yeah, yeah, it was hard to stop watching. It's good. It's yeah. the best season. I think that they progressively get better. Yeah, I think that um, I just wasn't really watching Nickelodeon that much when I was like fourteen. I think I was about fourteen when the show came out. Um, so I just wasn't really aware of it. I mean, I had friends that talked about it, but. I just wasn't about to go back and watch a Nickelodeon show at the time, which I should have, you know, had so many more years and so many more memes being understood then. Um, and I missed out on that. So all the years wasted without avatar. I know. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of, I think it's interesting because we all kind of had different stories coming to it. And um, I think that a lot more people are getting exposed to it because of Netflix's recent uh, acquisition of the, I don't know if they acquired the property or what, but it's now streaming on Netflix. And so I think it's had a pretty big renewed interest just across the internet. It has a surge in popularity because the timing was perfect, bringing it back on Netflix during the pandemic, you know, with everybody being at home. this is a time when we could all have a reminder of our innocence and childhood and just like simple, funny goodness. And then also we have the time to to binge on a good new show. It's so true though. An old show. Everybody's like, I just want a distraction from reality. And Avatar is definitely a really good distraction. Yeah. And you know, uh, just getting like a tiny bit more political, like it's really has a lot of themes that really relate to today's moment. It has a, a lot of like nationalism themes. It has kind of some totalitarianism totalitarianism (laughs) it has it has a lot of those themes it has uh, a lot of empowerment for women in it so relating to like the me too movement and so i think it just we've all been kind of primed or it's been a part of the national conversation the themes that really addresses and um have been a part of the conversation for a while now and i think that's maybe another reason why it's really striking a chord absolutely i think one of my favorite uh, themes that I think is applicable is kind of the us versus them. Uh, how you, they, you know, going into the show, you feel like there's a really clear good guys and bad guys. And, and then that line blurs a little bit. And I feel like I can relate to that on a political level of really feeling like, you know, there's a lot of polar opposites in the, in our world today. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, so I think that it's, yeah, it's just a really good opportunity to, discuss those themes. I think that it's a good way to discuss those themes for parents with their kids too. You know, I think if a parent sat down and watched this with a, you know, a 10 year old kid, it could be a good way to talk about kind of the harder conversations that we really should be having with our kids right now too. That's a big appeal of the show is I feel like it reaches across the age groups a little bit. I feel like there's something for almost every, everybody. Our totally. three year old really likes watching Aang Airbend. So Okay, we were also just joined by Mackenzie's other brother, Branson. Um, he jumped in on a little bit late, and he's going to tell us all about how he first learned about Avatar. So, yeah, my name is Branson. I first learned about Avatar, or I first started watching it, mainly because I would just pass by the family room, and uh, my older siblings would be watching it. Um, so having a lot of older siblings, you kind of just do what they do. And so uh, I got into it because of them. They got me into it, so. 
Somehow I missed that. I don't know where I was. <laughs> well, Mackenzie, let me share something about Mackenzie. She has an irrational hatred of Pokemon as well. This is true. So maybe because they're both like kind of anime, and I know anime people might hate me saying that, but they are kind of both anime. She might have like transposed that hatred onto. That's so Avatar. funny. I was gonna say the people you might enrage more by calling by by relating Avatar to anime is actually Animar uh, Avatar fans. Um, generally, Avatar fans are like, no, it's not anime, and they'll get like mad yeah. because they don't want it to even be associated at all because it isn't technically. But that's so funny. I didn't know you had an irrational fear of Pokemon or, or hatred. I had no idea. So I used to watch Pokemon and I watched like Yu-Gi-Oh too. Did you not like Yu-Gi-Oh, Mackenzie? I did watch Yu-Gi-Oh. We played Yu-Gi-Oh cards like all the time. So I don't know. Yeah. But not Pokemon? That's so funny. I think just maybe I I thought I was cool because everybody else liked it. And I don't know. <laughs> she is. She's a hipster. What, why do you think I haven't watched Avatar until now? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> But I would definitely say that I started watching whatever show Hayden wanted me to watch for a long time. Oh yeah, older brother. And I I still do that cuz yeah, older brother like he's only 3 years only 3 years apart and he just loves to he he's really, you know, into art and like and that means like movies, shows, like you know, painting, drawing, music, anything that's a form of art like he loves and and so he he has a good way of getting me into it too. And uh, and so I think that that was it. It's just one of the shows that we watched together. So the best um, kind of recommendation we can give for Avatar is so far we've had you know three generations kind of um, you know from baby boom- boomers down to Gen Z have all liked Avatar and have all found reasons to like it and things to relate to in it. So I think that it's um, a show that pretty much anybody can enjoy if they're willing to put the diamonds watching it probably one of the hardest things about um, getting people to get into it. And I know that we're, we'd said that we were going to talk about criticisms too much, but it's just one of the hardest things about getting people into it is getting them to, to see through season one. Um, season one is good, but we talked a little bit about this earlier that, it, you know, they're still trying to figure out and solidify their character arc and what everybody's, where everybody's going and what the story's going to end up as. And, and so it's a little bit more difficult to get into it with the beginning because it does feel more of that kid's show feel in the first season, um, at least in the first half of the first season, I'd say. Yeah, it definitely was harder for us to get through that. And also, I think that a big thing that was a struggle for me, at least, was there's just some things that come along with the medium. So I think that all of the art was really gorgeous. I think that they did an excellent job. But there are some things about the style that just kind of bug me. And I'm not trying to be like critical of the anime style. I'm just going to use the term anime broadly. broadly. So I'm not trying to be critical of it. But there are things that like are harder for me to watch with it. Like um, one thing in particular, and I noticed it early on, and I just kept noticing it throughout the series, is like it will just pan into like the same shot. It'll keep pretty much the same shot with maybe some a little thing changing in the background. I'll just keep that for like 10 seconds, which takes some getting used to, I think. And so I think some people might watch the first few episodes and just like be put off by the uh, medium. Especially right? because people who watch this, yeah. like a lot of them haven't watched anything else like it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and Josh, I have to agree like totally on that. I feel like, and Preston, what you said, um, when it comes to like the medium and when it comes to, 
you know, the way the show is in the first season and everything, you definitely need to almost like push through it. Like it's almost, it's almost like something where you're like, okay, I need to give this show a shot and like push through that. And then it starts becoming interesting and then you're drawn in and grabbed in, but you know, you need to get through that stuff at the beginning, kind of get used to, as you're saying, Josh. I guess I'm, I'm realizing having grown up on Pokemon and having, I mean, I feel like I grew up on Avatar just because I've watched it for so many years, but I'm realizing now that for, you know, Americans, people who are used to Western style media, it is different. It is, you know, it's the, the, the jokes are different. The music is different and the facial expressions are different, you know, and, uh, and that can be a little bit of an adjustment. It's not necessarily that it's good or that it's bad. It's just, wow, this isn't what I was expecting. And it takes you a little bit to get into the world and to not be, um, to get sucked into it, you know, it takes a little bit of time to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think that if you're immediately turned off by the art style, I think that still the story and the character work and a lot of the things that we're going to discuss um, are done exceptionally well. So if you can get through it, I think you're going to get some pretty big payoff. And But if you don't enjoy it, you don't enjoy it, right? Like the medium is might be enough to turn you off from it. And I don't think that that's, a neg- that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm glad we pushed through. Yeah. It would be very interesting to get somebody on here who like watched the whole show and adamantly hates it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, know I, if I've ever met or heard of anybody like that, but they probably well, exist. Yeah. Well, I think if you get through the whole show, like you would have stopped watching it after the first season, if you hated it or yeah. the second season for sure. Like you're not going to keep watching it if like you hate it. Right. We have I a friend say, who's an anime fan who's not like a big avatar. That's true. Fan, yeah. So, like, yeah. Know. I will say it's been really difficult sometimes for me to get other people to watch it and give it a chance because of the medium. Um, Like I have uh, a relative who will not be named um, who I tried to, I have tried multiple times to get them to watch this because they're big movie buffs and they love, you know, the, just the art of storytelling in that, in that long series type, like we're like, you've talked about Josh and we'll get hit on more later that, it, it not only is a good story can, in continuity in arc from, from uh, episode to episode, but also in an individual episode. Um, and I've tried to, to get this person to watch it. And this person is like, oh, you know, it's, I, I don't watch anything animated, you know? <laughs> and so that, that's just interesting thing. And, and, you know, you, there's things you can do in animation that you can't do in any other form of medium. And, and I think it's a it's a it's really an art form in and of itself, and it's and it's usually a choice, um, not just because they want to hit a younger demographic or because they want to um, to to or because there's a lower budget or something. It's usually because literally there's things they want to do with the medium that they couldn't do with live action. That's a good point that the story needed to be told this way. Yeah. yeah. And go like just a quick note on that is with like, you know, Disney's remaking all these movies now. Um, right. This is kind of this this will tie back in. But um Disney's remaking all these movies right now, like live action, you know, and stuff. And and people always say, like, oh, they're not as good as the first ones, but you really can't compare because because I was talking to Hayden about it and we were talking about how like the Lion King, like you can get so many impressions or so many facial expressions and stuff like that on a on a lion, right? when it's when it's animated but when it's when it's uh when you're trying to do like live action and really make it 
be a real line. A real line wouldn't make that face, you know? And so I think it's definitely, it's, it, it's kind of its its own thing. And, and if it was live action, it'd be totally different, right? And it's definitely so- hard to compare mediums and say whether one is better than the other. So let's talk about some news that broke uh, this morning, just briefly before we get into spoilers. I do know. Yeah, I do know. So that goes perfectly along with what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So for those that were completely not aware, um, there was a, was and kind of still is a Netflix a live action adaption, live action adaption coming out for the last airbender um, produced by Netflix and the original creators of Avatar were the showrunners for it. And let's now, talk I, about why that's such a big deal. Because the original animated show, super successful, super great, more successful now. But the live action movie, uh, Bam Night Shyamalan, not terrible. successful. Not successful. One of the worst movies ever made. All right. <laughs> Objectively, not successful. And, and not the, good. And the original, Objectively not good. All right. And, not, <laughs> um, and, uh, and the original creators were not involved in it. And so to have a live action remake with the original creators involved, fans of, of the original, fans of the animated show starting to get excited. Maybe this is a live action that we can get behind. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will have the same spirit as the show. So everyone is very excited for this. And then this news breaks. Yeah. Yeah. So the co-creators publish an open letter, um, which I encourage you to go read if you're interested in delving further into the story. Um, saying that they were stepping back from the project and they cited creative differences um, from the team at Netflix. Um, and so they are no longer going to be involved in the project. However, it sounds like the project is still moving forward from yeah. what I understand. Which yeah. which is really leaving everybody feeling extremely skeptical about whether it's even going to be good anymore without them involved. So we'll see. And whatever direction it was heading, they said that they couldn't, for their creative integrity couldn't stick with it. And so that makes me yeah. worried. And I'm inclined well, to think that this is a project they love. Their hearts are in it. These are characters that they cherish. Like it, it's not one small disagreement about dialogue. It's got to be repeated things. It's got to be something big. It's got to be like serious creative yeah. disagreements. And I am so anxious about that. And it's not just that because the only thing they can do is avatar like they're one trick ponies or something either because you have to realize for anybody who's listening if you haven't um watched legend of Korra, obviously there's 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 was mixed reviews about it for reasons that we could get into but we personally brooklyn and i love legend of Korra, and that's coming out on on netflix this week as well um and that's the same same producers the same creators and they did a fantastic job um, and then they also did Dragon Prince together, um, which is fantastic and amazing. Um, and all of which are animated series, granted. Um, but, but you know, <laughs> it's not because for lack of creativity or, or idea. So I, I don't know. And it's interesting because Dragon Prince was uh, produced by Netflix, right? Yes. Or, yeah. So they've worked with this Netflix team in the past, right? And it's been the Avatar show has been in production i think for about two years so it's and it's got to be something pretty big and i'm going to be honest i didn't read the whole open letter that they posted um i just kind of followed the coverage of it so i don't want to speak 
to what I'm not reading firsthand, but I encourage anybody that's interested in finding more about the story to go read the letter that they published firsthand and get the news and develop your opinions through that. So there's not much beyond the letter right now. It's just kind of yeah. a letter. Yeah. So go, go read the letter, try not to get like sucked into clickbait and just um, recognize that this has got to be, they said in the letter that this was the hardest professional decision that they've had to make. And so, I mean, I'm still personally hoping for a good adaption. I, I think I'm still going to give it a shot when it comes out, but well, this, um, yeah. yeah. Don't but think this is myself from watching it. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, that is our non-spoiler thoughts. If you are on the fence about watching Avatar, it has amazing character work, amazing themes throughout, and um, some amazing plot and world building. And so if you think that it's something that you might enjoy, I highly, highly recommend. I think we all recommend that you go you know, throw it on Netflix. If you have not watched it, then you probably want to click off now and go listen to one of our other episodes that you have watched or um, have consumed the the content for because we're going to get into spoilers. And we'll just say right now, um, if this episode does well at Ventology, we're open to making more episodes about Avatar, maybe going through season by season or doing a Korra one. And um, so if you like this episode and want more Avatar coverage from us, then share it with your friends and um, be sure to make sure that this gets some more listens. Preston, why don't you give us some background and kind of the backstory um, that we get um, about this world? Tell us what it's about. Um, we're going to spoilers from here on out. So if you you know want to throw some information we learn about later on in the series, just give us some background about this world that this that Avatar takes place in. All right. Well, long ago, the four nations. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the, it's uh, so so. Part of the fun of Avatar is that it, it literally takes place in a different world. Um, it's not it's not necessarily planet Earth. It it's just an an Earth like world. Um, and, and where where there are four different nations that represent each element. Um, I mean, obviously very similar to, to our planet, but the fact that um, everybody has what's called bending. Not everybody. Sorry, not everybody, but that there are many people who can who can bend or, in other words, manipulate uh, the, the elements themselves to their advantage. Um and so you have everyone, uh, each, each nation only has one of those uh, element, elemental bending abilities, whereas only one person, the avatar, has all four. Um, can, can, I literally should just say at the beginning, <laughs> only the avatar, master of all four elements. Um, so the, you know, he's the only one, he or she is the only one that could. But the avatar is somebody who's reincarnated. Um, every time they're they're they die, they're reborn um, as as the next element, the next nation um, in the lineup, and they can be either male or female. And so so Aang is this this young man who he's only twelve years old, who's an Airbender, and he is in a, he's the latest in a very, very long chain of avatars um, and has, you know, he's, he's an airbender. 
Um, but Aang has, has been, his life um, has, he felt a lot of pressure about becoming the Avatar. And so he, he ran away from his, his responsibilities as the Avatar. Um, but I mean, the part of the really compelling thing about all of this is just like the, if you threw in the, it, it's, it feels really magical to us that for people to be able to manipulate the elements, but, um, but it, it, otherwise it's kind of like Renaissance time period. Wouldn't you say like technology wise, it's not, um, Cora gets a little bit more into, it's like the 1920s kind of thing. But before that, in this show that they really only have horse and cart buggy kind of thing, you know, it's not like there's not a lot of, it's, it's still sword and shield. And some of the fun uh, things that they do are really like they get into more inventions and science and everything, but, but it's, it's pretty, pretty Renaissance otherwise, um, as far as the technology that they have in this world. Um, anyway, sorry. Did I, did I do an okay job of that? Like, yeah, that was, that uh, okay. was great. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. And then the fire nation, um, everything changed in the fire nation attacked, right? So the fire nation, the fire Lord, um, decided, that that he needed that it was his destiny his manifest destiny if you will <laughs> to uh to take over all the other nations and rule over them because the fire nation is the best nation the most powerful nation and that all the other nations can't be trusted to to live peacefully without fire nation rule and so that's the reason why um they have another reason well Aang doesn't know about that, but, uh, but, but another reason why everything's turned into turmoil is because he disappears before any of those things happen. Branson's raising his hand. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just didn't want to like cut you off or anything. You're good. You're good. No, did you finish? I just wanted you to finish your thought. Um, yeah. but, I, but I was totally just going to add like, cause that was perfect pressing. But I, I, yeah. And I was just going to add that, like, he's just like the avatar's purpose, right? The, like the main reason that there's someone that can hold all four elements and can also can connect with, you know, what, what they would call, you know, the spirit world, right? There's like the spirits and there's like the natural world, the material world and stuff like that. Right. And, and so what, don't, um, don't get into chorus spoilers though. Well, I won't, I won't, don't worry. But, but, but like, I think what the main reason for the avatar is that we learn is that if someone steps out of line, the avatar is there to restore balance, right? That's like, that's like the avatar's purpose in life. Right. And so I, so like in the show, right. Otherwise it would just kind of be, um, you know, just, just a, just a normal show as we're watching them, you know, just restore balance. Right. Every time someone steps out of line, you just put them right back. Right. But kind of the interesting thing about Avatar The Last Airbender is that you get something unusual that's never happened. Right. I mean, there hasn't been a show about every Avatar, but, but it's like, it's, um, you know, he's 12 years old and when he first found out he was Avatar, he, he ran away. Right. And was frozen in ice. And, um, and then there's this, there's been this war going on because there's no one to put people back in line. There's no one to keep Stop. that balance. Right. Years. He's not yeah. dead. So they can't get a new one, but he's yeah. not doing his job. So they're just avatar. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when the world's avatar list, then, then, um, you know, if someone keeps going, yeah, there's no one to put them back into line. And so that's the whole crazy thing is there's this 12 year old boy who 
who just finds out about this, right? When he unfreezes from the ice, and that's where we start the show. And he has to restore balance, but it's gotten so bad after a hundred years, and he's just this twelve-year-old boy. And I think that's what adds like that that tension the whole time that that wants to keep you, you know, what's going to happen, you know. So, yeah, and I really like that how it it does get into the guilt that Aang feels throughout the series for letting this happen. You know, there's several scenes where he reflects that this is kind of his fault. You know, it's not really because he just had a natural reaction of any 12 year old kid, you know, reacting to being, yeah, reacting to that pressure, but he still feels that weight, right. Of, of um, kind of doing something selfish and leading to all this madness. And like you said, Preston, sometimes he kind of runs away from that. And then other times he recognizes his responsibility in fixing it. Yeah. We, we so, touched a little bit on this before too. One of my favorite things about the show in general is just the, the character development of everyone. Um, I feel like you start with some pretty raw young characters who, who have a lot of gaping flaws that <laughs> we can see like Sokka's sexism and, uh, and Aang's immaturity in general and like Katara's bossiness. I don't know. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Katara's already perfect to be But like, you know, they have gaping flaws to begin with. And uh, and seeing the way that they develop, it's pretty interesting because watching the show the second or third time around, yes, we're that big of nerds. Um, but watching the second the show the second or third time around, it's really like you you see where they start as characters and you go, oh yeah, they couldn't they didn't know anything. <laughs> they didn't, couldn't do anything yet. And it's really cool to see the way they develop. Um and yeah, like going off that, one other thing is is that I love how they do it in in Avatar where it's not the Avatar the Last Airbender, where we watch three seasons and it's not just three seasons of of um, Aang trying to get to the Fire Lord, right? Because he doesn't even know all the elements, right? And so, um, and he doesn't even know how he's going to go about that or what, right? And so that's, I love that they've kind of shown different bad guys throughout the movie, right? And kind of like different bad guys have come along, and and um, and it's crazy that you know basically one of the one of the main bad guys, right? right spoiler alert! But like one of the main bad guys, like it ends up helping him at the end. Right. And like, and like, and, and I will say that's what, like, that's what mom isn't my mom, you know, our mom isn't a huge movie watcher. Right. And she won't sit down for like a long time, but I'll tell you, she got like super connected with, with um, like Zuko and like these characters to see that, to see like, Oh, like this boy's struggling so much. Like, why does he keep making this bad decision over and over again? You know, like, why does he keep choosing darkness over lightness and or over lightness light? Anyways, he keeps like choosing wrong. Right. And so like to watch and then to watch them grow and like to some, like sometimes choose good, sometimes choose bad. You realize like, that's just like us every day. Right. And it's cool to kind of step back and see that happen. Um, instead of, you know, you don't just get this character that's doing everything right every single time. Like they're, they're all making mistakes and they're all growing. And I think that's what makes the show awesome because you feel super into it and connected. I think you are all a really great point there, Branson, mm-hmm. that I think, there is some great, you know, good versus evil. There's some great comedy. There's some great things about the show. But ultimately, I think the hook that keeps people invested is Zuko. I think that we love his journey. Uh, we're, we we hate him and then we root for him. And then we are so happy when he turns a corner. And um, I, I feel like Zuko is, is what takes 
Avatar The Last Airbender from good to great. I agree. Definitely. And that this is definitely a spoiler too, but I think that's why at the ending, I don't know if you want to add this in later, but I think that's why at the ending, my like biggest disappointment was that you didn't get to see him reunited with his mom. Yes. <laughs> because you're following next. next. That's all you want, you know? But yeah. anyway, I haven't Corey yet. I don't know what happens, but... <laughs> I'll say they. I'll, I'll just say they don't address it very much in there either. But <laughs> uh, I know there's more in in the actual like graphic in the movie. graphic novels. That's a good place to go for that. But I was just going to say too, another really great element about the show is that um, solutions always come from unexpected places or unexpected people. Mm-hmm. Um, they go throughout the show trying to find masters to help the Avatar master our, all four elements. And literally, it's never the person that they thought it was going to be. And then it's always a member of their team or somebody who becomes a member of their team. So that by the end, it's him and all of his teachers who are the ones who go together to defeat the Fire Lord. Um, and I, and it's like, it's like this group of unexpected heroes. And I think that that's another reason why people of all ages can connect with it. Kids, because they see kids have strength and power that that you you know that that people underestimate the things that they can do and you always think it's going to be some old wise sage you know and but then other people of other ages too because they do show a lot of respect for for elderly people you know with like Iroh and and these great people throughout too so you have you have characters of every age and who who bring unexpected elements um, you, you never, you never expect that they're going to be the one that brings the solution. Nice. So, so just stepping back a little bit, um, in terms of the action, how it starts off is, uh, is Sokka and Katara are off and they find, um, Aang in a thing of ice. They kind of revive him and, or he shoots out of the ice and then they go back and their, um, village is attacked Am I getting this right? Their village is attacked by the Fire Nation, right? And so now, well, it's it's just it's just Zuko's um it's just Zuko's ship because Zuko's trying to, he's banished, but it is a Fire Nation okay. ship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's Zuko. So we have Prince Zuko who is banished from the Fire Nation by his uh, father, Lord Ozai, um, and is now trying to restore his honor by finding the Last Airbender. Right. And so he's kind of tracked the last airbender to this small um, village, um, kind of fishing, fishing village who has uh, the last airbender of the southern water tribes, um, who is Katara. So now we have the last um, water kind airbender. Of, the last what? The last waterbender. You said airbender. airbender. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The, the last waterbender of the southern tribe. So now we have our first initial gang of um, Katara and Sokka, her brother and Aang who are setting off to try and help Aang, like you guys mentioned before, and, master all the other three elements. And we can't forget uh, that Aang, every avatar has an animal, they're an animal with them. Um, it's just kind of part of the story. Uh, the Korra has one. And um, the avatar before Aang, um, avatar Roku was a firebender. He had a dragon. So what Aang has, and in the show, every animal is... Almost every animal is mixed with another animal. 
um, which you'll see a lot. There's like platypus bears and lion turtles and other things, right? And you have um, to see almost every animal because there's like the random yeah. bear. Yeah, the yeah, duck turtle. Yeah, the turtle ducks are my yeah. favorite. Yeah. I love those. So, um, so like Aang is the bear. <laughs> <laughs> so Aang has a has a sky bison. And so it's like this giant six-legged bison that can fly and that they use that as their transportation to kind of get oh, around the world. Definitely part of the team. Core of the show, Appa. Yeah. Backbone. Appa Air- is the backbone. He's the R2-D2 of Avatar The Last Airbender. That's a really good comparison because you know, <laughs> if R2-D2 wasn't around, everybody would have died and he's like the unsung hero. He, he saves yes. their lives every single every, time. Every time. It's so true. If Appa wasn't around, they would have all died many times. He doesn't. Oh yeah, he doesn't. I'm get... sad that Appa didn't have like a an ending moment to shine. You know, like Momo got one, but like Appa didn't have one. No. <laughs> so justice for Appa. Justice for Appa. <laughs> yes. And so, so the first book is called uh, Water. So the first kind of uh, series, or they call them books, is them trying to make it to the Northern Water Tribe. So that they can, uh, Aang can learn, Aang and Katara can learn from a master waterbender. And so that's kind of the general premise of the first season. Um, Defeating sexism. (laughs) What's that? I said defeating sexism is like a major theme of the whole first season, I feel like. Like culminating with meeting the master of the Northern Water Tribe. (laughs) Right. Um, And they have some side quests. One of which, so here's kind of uh, the first criticism that um, I want to point out that I have is that there are a few episodes where um, they go into the spirit, like that Aang is supposed to also be the uh, kind of, what's the word? uh, Yeah, the connection to the spirit, spirit realm, right? And so they have one episode where he goes and protects the town from this spirit realm kind of monster who had been plaguing them. And there's a few other times in the series where they, he does something similar, but I thought that this was something that they could have addressed a little bit more and had more of in the show. If this was really, and I, I know that I think it's part of more part of Cora, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So I think that they had this idea and I really like the idea, right. That, um, Aang, that the avatar is both, a mediator of the physical like nations and of the um, spiritual realm. But I wish that they would have either had more of it or just mentioned it, but didn't have really any of it. I guess I, I, I wish that they would have picked a link. We thought lane. it was going to come. In yeah. More. Yeah. Like, I thought you, it was like, have you said, like you said, they, they, they touch more on it in Korra and in all honesty, it's one of the best elements of Korra is, is the fact that there's more to do with, with the, the whole, premise of why that is the case i think that's a valid criticism josh and i think that that is why it's it's more in chorus because they were they wanted to do more with it and they didn't in uh, last airbender yeah although although you do kind of get a really cool thing with him with it oh i can't remember what the guy with the with a million faces is called yeah his name's Uh, Coe. Oh yeah, that whole thing is is actually kind of a cool thing that happens. But yeah, but anyway, yeah, it just seemed like a random like yeah. yeah I you know. I can see that like 
I, cause I've, you know, it's been, I've watched it so like so many times now and the legend of Korra, um, twice now. And so I can see where it would be like, not, not like now that I'm thinking about it, like watching it for the first time being like, okay, like what is the spirit world stuff? And then like yeah. wait, the spirit world and the avatar state thing and the physical world and like all these things, right. is like, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. so I can definitely see where you're coming from. I do. I do also want to say though, like when you're mentioning the this side quest stuff, Josh, is that um, it almost feels like fun and playful sometimes where you're like, okay, like what's the point they're trying to get to whatever, you know, we're just watching them go on little adventures, but every single time, cause that's what mom and dad thought when we were watching it the first time with them um, just a month ago. And they, 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 I think it was hard for them to get into it. Cause they're like, okay, we're just watching these little like 12, 13 year old, 14 year old people just do activities. Right. You know? And, uh, but, but it's interesting because every single time you learn something more about either one of the characters or about the spirit world or about the avatar state or about like the whole meaning behind it or something more about kind of the universe of avatar. And, uh, I think that's really cool. And, and, uh, definitely, Definitely, it's really cool how they did that. They made it like really entertaining, but also just little times you just, you know, you're like, you find out more about this person, more about this character, and it goes deeper into this. And I really like that about the film. That the whole point of their journey is for Aang to learn to master the elements, but he, I don't think that he would have been able to become the avatar he needed to be to defeat the Fire Lord if he hadn't also gotten to know the people that he needed to save, if he didn't also get to know Zuko, if he didn't also get to discover his demons and his weaknesses. I think it's all part of his journey, although he doesn't necessarily know it at the time. Um, could he have been able to um, master earthbending if he, if he hadn't um, have the, hadn't, hadn't seen Boomy again, et cetera, et cetera. I think that yeah. it's, it's more than just exciting, fun activities. It's, I think that they're crucial to, to his development as an avatar. And yeah, I, go ahead, Preston. No, you go. I was going to say, I think the first season would be more enjoyable to watch again, knowing how all those pieces would tie together. Yeah. Yeah. I, a few things about that. I was going to say kind of like when you watch, I'm sorry, I'm comparing it to Star Wars again because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but like um, Star Wars episode four, uh, A New Hope, and you had George Lucas touched on the universe that he wanted to in some ways, but you probably would have walked away from that movie watching the, the lightsaber fight at the end with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader and going, why didn't we have more of that? You know, like, where is that? Where's that from? And like more of this Jedi lore and stuff. And why is that not there? And then, and then they were given the opportunity to flesh out that universe a little bit more. And I feel like the writers of Avatar, it was similar. They, they were able to, to delve more into the lore of the background of their universe, but only to a certain degree. They had to wrap things up at some point and then move on to other stories. Um, you know, I can't remember who it was who said that like a story is never um, complete or, or perfected, but rather abandoned. And uh, this is a, a similar thing with that. I like that. It leaves a lot for you to still think about. And it, yeah, it didn't go on too long. So um, moving on, we get to kind of the ending of season one, which is, this is where I think it really picked up for me is when they get to the water tribe, the Northern water tribe, and uh, they get, attacked by Zhao, who is another person pursuing the game the game Zhao. 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 Admiral Zhao. 
yeah, Admiral Zhao, and um, and kind of a lot goes down, right? So, um, they they figure out that um, the that the waterbenders are going to be super powerful because of the moon, right? Something to do with the moon. And yeah. well, yeah. so yeah, so firebenders get their power from uh, they're they're stronger, right? Yeah. Uh, with the sun, right, and the moon, uh, for waterbenders, right. And the spirit of the moon was this little koi fish in the pond, and so Zhao figures out that if he kills the fish, then the waterbenders would lose their power, right? Am I am I getting this yeah. right? Yeah. The spirit of the moon is incarnated in this fish, so by killing the fish, you kill the spirit of the moon, which is a little bit abstract for our western minds but yeah he wants to kill the moon so that he can defeat the waterbenders but i thought like it, i thought it was a really good like yeah it is a little abstract but at the same time it's really like it i don't know it's just really cool it's to so see. cool one of the coolest one of the coolest things about that sorry to go back to the animation thing but the use of color during those finale episodes after zhao kills the the koi fish and how everything is like like gray toned, except for the fire bending, um, it, and that whenever it lights things up, the color comes back. It is such a cool use of color and and a really cool art form. Anyway, those are really cool episodes because it shows um, uh, just because it shows what the fire nation is willing to do. And it just shows how imbalanced everything is that, um, that it's the way it's supposed to be that they all take their power from, from different places and they all work together. And it just, for the first time you really see, um, Oh, that's, that's not right. Like if he's willing to kill the moon, that's I feel like the audience is really, able to say well i know that's a bad thing to kill the moon um yeah and josh can i kind of say something along like this like this this finale of the first season yeah yeah um like just just okay so it really helps you notice that um kind of what brooklyn was saying like kind of you know man trying to deal with with the spirits and to like and to um try and get all this power and um you know take over other things um and take power from other things to to bring it on themselves right and have the power and i think um i think it's just so cool because you know you get this you get this scene in every in every show where where it's that last moment where you think uh no one's uh, you, where you think good, you know, the good side is, is done, right? You think they're over, right? But then, but then they prevail, right? Um, unless we're talking about infinity war, then, then no, I'm just kidding. But, um, so, so anyways, but you, you get the scene in most movies, right? It's a classic, classic thing where you get that really last moment where you're like, this is over for the good side. How are they ever going to win from this? And then they do. Right. And so you kind of see that in the, in this first season and it kind of is a reoccurring thing throughout the show that you're like, okay, no matter how bad, um, man can be or no matter how you know bad these people are stepping out of line and trying to gain this much power and take over other people and and step on other people that the light always prevails that like the good will always like come back and and restore it and and i i just it's just so cool to see that in the first season to see you know ang with the with the spirits um like sorry um 
go into the avatar state and like kind of restore this this and, and help win that battle because you just realize you're like okay no matter how bad that 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 man is going to be no matter how manipulative and all these things like the light the light is going to put is going to put out that darkness i don't know it's cool to see with that i felt like throughout the whole show like good always prevails by being good you know and you see that in the end for sure with how Aang defeats the fire lord that they don't ever sacrifice their values to overcome the bad side that is great and coming up with with new ways to do things to learning things from the past the way things have been done before but then also learning your own way to accomplish you know to 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 bring about good as well um bringing bringing your own personality to the table so uh Sokka's girlfriend becomes the moon <laughs> and we get one of the most memed things from avatar and it was a great finale and this was honestly where i was sold on the show like i i always knew i was going to watch it because i'm kind of a completionist so i knew once we started that i was going to finish one way or the other but after the finale of the first season was when i was like really sold on the show i think i agree um so let's move on let's do let's go through season two a little bit quicker um i really like season two it maybe had was kind of a more filler season i don't know what what do you guys think so i i I disagree about it being a filler season i actually think that like like i said before for me it's like season one is good season two is better season three is best so that's what i think i i would agree and like with preston and kind of why I get that is because in the second season, we we really start to become connected to these characters. I feel yeah. like, like I feel like we we start to see them in a different light to where we're like, oh, and we kind of see why they would make the decisions they make, and then kind of wish they would make other decisions sometimes, and kind of you know, and 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 then it's interesting to like watch them, and you almost feel like you're part of their life, and so yeah. we see, and and like I would kind of say Zuko um like a lot for for me in the second season as we watch him um we we watch him in the second season realize that that uh like what he like that his dad doesn't really that even if he got the avatar like and he's still questioning this the whole time that his dad um would he ever actually let him home does he ever actually even love him like is his love just based on getting the avatar or, or you know, does he not want him around? What is it, right? And we start to like see this, and he just really hopes his father will love him, right? And his dad's a bad dude, and so is his sister. And so I think we get, and then we start to see um, Zuko's sister, right, Azula, um, which is also, an awesome introduction. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. one of the coolest characters. Yeah, I was gonna say too. We we you know, it's hard to imagine after watching the whole show, imagine any of the show without Toph. Oh yeah, and yet. Toph is introduced in season two. She's not even in season one at all. And what a great character she is. Uh, I know for me, one of the very first times, if not the first time I ever saw a a character whose um, disability was not a weakness. She never lets anybody feel sorry for her, for her blindness. It's her strength. It's her, uh, it's what makes her unique and, and special. It's never anything that ties her down. And that was so cool to me to see that. And it gave me a different perspective on, on people who are different than me. So I, she's super important even outside of the realm of the story. Yeah. I was so happy that they didn't heal Toph's blindness because that's a really big kind of thing. It's one of my least favorite 
archetypes or tropes, I should say, is a better word for it. And fantasy is that disabilities will get healed at the end of the story. And it's always irked me because like that's part of that character, right? And mm-hmm. so I was really happy that they didn't do that with Toph, that they kept her um, her uh, disability. Yeah, and it became part of herself and it was it was part of her identity. And it also helped her, um, it helped her, right? It was her strength. And that's what made her connected to the earth in a way that other people weren't able to be and what made her uh, a real master of earthbending. I was just going to say with Toph too, I feel like even though Zuko's technically the foil to to Aang, um, I feel like Toph is actually kind of a really good foil for Aang too, because um, you have this person who comes in who's very much striving for independence she has to rely on other people to a degree but she wants to be independent she wants everybody to see her as independent she wants to be seen as strong and and you know and whereas ang he's very much about the team he's like we're all working together and he actually if you watch through the show he has a hard time doing anything by himself he has a hard time not pulling other people into it. And so for the two of them, they learn how um, they they play off of each other a ton where she she calls him Twinkle Toe. She makes fun of him. She doesn't really actually like want to work with him at, at first at all. And, and he, um, whereas, like I said, he doesn't really want to work alone. And then you watch them learn to work together. And there's actually more shots throughout the show of the two of them bending together than anybody else. The two of them like have this sink and when they, when they earth bend together and it's, it's incredible. And then at the end of the show, um, Toph is the one who has to, who ends up being a team player and learning to work with everybody else. And Aang is the one who has to go off by himself to defeat the fire Lord. And That's like so go good. away from all those things. So it's like so cool. I think Toph's such an important element in the show because of that. That's so that. good, Preston. I, I love that. Um I I wanna can can I talk about a specific episode in season two that is probably one of my favorite episodes? Well, I don't know. It's really good though. Um, so one and there's this episode where you get, you know, we've been talking about Toph. So you have Toph and you have Aang, um, and Katara and Sokka, and then um, Appa, of course. And you get Momo. We can't forget that Momo's in the picture by now, um, who's like a little lemur, and he's the best. He's so funny. Anyways, but um, you get, you get you know, this little team avatar, right? And then you also have Zuko and um, his uncle Iroh. Who, who, yeah, and, and you, you never, when there's a part where Zuko um, leaves his uncle and he says, I need to find my own way because – you know, he's, they're ashamed of their family and, and they, they, and he doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life anymore. And, and, and he's still trying to decide his feelings and what direction he wants to go in. And, and he, he says, I need to find my own path. Right. And at that point you, you just like, your heart is just like, no, like stay with your uncle. Cause your uncle is like, he loves you so much and wants to care about you and stuff. And you're like, but no, he needs to find his own way. <laughs> yeah. But then you're like, he needs to find his own way. And you're like, ah, what do I, you know? And it kind of leaves you, uh, I don't know. It just gives you the feelings. Right. And, so you get this you get this moment where where um Azula, Zuko's sister, and her two friends, May and Ty Lee, are tracking down the Avatar, are tracking down Aang. So they're going for Team Avatar, right? 
And it's just so interesting how this all connects. I love this episode because it all connects. So you get Uncle Iroh um, on his own and he's following um, Zuko just from just from in behind. Like you, you don't Zuko doesn't know that that uh, Uncle Iroh is slowly following him and just trying to be there for him when he needs him. Um, and so, but Zuko thinks he's 100% on his own and he starts chasing his sister who is chasing the avatar, right? So it all comes back around into a circle. And, um, and, and so you get Toph though, who wants to be independent and who is having a hard time being in the group. So she leaves. And when she leaves, she runs into uncle Iroh. And when that moment happens, like, you're like, this is just so well thought out. Like, this is just such a good moment. And they have like, Iroh makes everyone tea and just shares words of wisdom. So they talk and he talks about his nephew and she talks about how she's having a hard time with her friends and they just have a good conversation. It's literally only like two minutes long, um, like as a scene, but it's just, it's just such a sweet moment. And then they both go their separate ways, just feeling edified and good and, and like they're better people. And, uh, and then you get this moment where they're all in, where finally Azula finds Aang and then Zuko finds Azula and then Uncle Iroh comes to help Zuko and then Toph comes back to help them. And they're all in this abandoned village, like fighting and they all, they're, you know, and when they all come together like that and you're like, well, they're all in the same place, like all these characters we've been watching. It's just such a cool moment. I love how Brian and Mike did that and created that, that uh, where they all connect in different ways. It's so cool. I totally agree, and I and to to build on that too, I love when they all end up in Bossing Say after that, and the things that happen to them, all of their individual journeys and things there, um, and how they use that as an opportunity to flesh out the characters even more. I think that it's really interesting that they um, that you you, you kind of talked about Josh that 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 could be one of the elements that makes it feel like a filler season, but at the same time it it actually um, what kind of a show do you get where they get an opportunity to, the characters get an opportunity to just slow down and think about what they really stand for each one of them individually. And I, I love that too. Yeah. I think one of my favorite subplots of season two also was when Appa went missing and was captured. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, was really com- that was really compelling to me. Right. Like, and the fact that they had developed this character, Appa, who never spoke a word, but who, like you were saying, um, was the backbone of their group, right? Like they kind of were lost without Appa and Aang was definitely lost without Appa. You learn a lot about Aang when that happens. Yeah. You know how some people, if they need a good cry, they go and watch, I don't know. The Notebook Yeah, they watch The Notebook or something. I go and watch the Appa episodes because, man... They're the most heartbreaking oh. episodes. I'm like tearing up I would, thinking about it. I would it. say I every yeah, every time we try to watch the rewatch the show again, Brooklyn like is always kind of like, oh no, those episodes are coming up. Oh no, like, I, I, I picture I picture Aang like Liam Neeson and Taken. Like I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I often I, we often we start to see Aang in a different light right there because we. Cause it's like, if you were to take a four year old or a six year old or something like away their toy and they just like cry and they were so attached to you or something like that. And of course I was not a toy, like, and they all have real feelings and stuff, but we start to see Aang, like this 12 year old boy, just so upset that Appa's gone and he's, and, and he's going like, he's, he's going crazy. Like that's all he wants is Appa back and he forgets about everything else. And, and it's just so interesting to see that you learn a lot about Aang, right? I also think you learned so much about Katara then too and her relationship with Thing and how she handles his emotions. I I loved watching that, just how she was able to 
to stay positive and like lead the group through that, but at the same time, um, help, help Aang feel heard. Absolutely. Yeah. Katara for sure validated Aang and like his emotions then. Um, walking through a little bit more plot is we get, uh, Az- Azula leads a coup against, um, the government of Bossing Say, and, uh, the Fire Nation starts to attack Bossing Se, but they're repelled. And, um, so that's kind of how season two ends, right? Was the Fire Nation launching a failed attack against Bossing Se, but Azula leading the coup against them. And so instead of through the military force, Azula is able to take control of Bossing Se through espionage. Um, I just want to, I, I know I keep bringing up Zuko, but I just want to say kind of where he's at at the end of season two. He's 100% with his sister Azula and kind of manipulated by her and, and, and seeking to, you know, destroy the avatar and be on kind of the dark side, I guess you could say. Yeah. Cause you get a little, we, okay. So let's dive into the scene in the underground kind of fortress of bossing say you get the scene between Katara and Zuko where uh, you think that Zuko might be about to switch sides and Katara kind of offers to maybe heal his, uh, his maim, maiming on his eye, and he starts to think that maybe um, they're not all bad, and that maybe there's another path to redemption for him. And uh, so we get this kind of intense showdown, and and we have a lot of our characters. Iroh, Zuko are here. Azula and her team are here. We even have Jet and his team, who we haven't even talked about yet. And we have, of course, Team Avatar. And they're all all here having this epic showdown that was amazingly well done. I totally agree. I was um, I was just gonna say I feel like it was a really you could say that it was a cop out with the Zuko not changing sides at that moment, being like, oh wait, we need one more season still. He can't change yet. But I I feel like it was more complicated than that. Not that you said that, Josh. Um, but like I feel like it's more complicated than that, and the fact that he hadn't reached his lowest of lows yet. You know, like Zuko had to lose everything before he was willing to actually see the error of his ways and become humble enough to go and join join the gang. You know, I'm actually going to disagree with you there, Justin, because um, actually in season three, it is when Zuko is welcomed back into the Fire Nation. It's when he finally has everything he That's thought true. he wanted. He's and he realizes he's not happy. Father. He's accepted. It's when he realizes that his father's validation isn't enough. Yeah. And that he will never love himself if he doesn't do the right thing. Because he spends the, you know, the entire show up to that point doing everything for somebody else's for his honor. acceptance. Yeah. And he needs to accept himself. So I think that it was impossible for him to follow Qatar in that moment because he still didn't accept himself. He still sought his father's validation and he needed to get to the point uh, where he didn't need it anymore. I totally agree. It's so probably a combination of both because he also, in a sense, loses everything because he loses his relationship with his uncle, which was the most important element, you know, one of the most important elements of his life. And, uh, and also just loses respect from a lot of people because of the choices that he makes. And, so yeah, when he's left with the emptiness of not really having any meaningful relationships left, but having all the accolades that he's dreamed of, then then you know 
seeing that that really doesn't bring him true happiness anyway. So I, I have some thoughts for um, for Zuko's redemption, but I'm going to save them for a little bit of our conversation about season three. But um, so so I thought so one issue I had with it is um, we get this build up that the only time that the Avatar can die is in the Avatar state, right? That's kind of built up. But the only time that that comes into effect really is at the ending of season two and jumping ahead to the very last battle when he's fighting uh, the fire Lord, he's never really in that much danger when he's fighting the fire Lord. We'll talk about that battle a little bit more later on, but the only time we're really super worried about Aang and his like mortality is at the ending of season two when he, when Azula strikes him with lightning in his back. Well, well, just to, to, to touch on that for a sec, the, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're fine. You're fine. Preston. I was just going to say he, it's not that we're worried about Aang's mortality. It's worried about, we're worried about the avatar being able to be passed on again and the avatar chain being broken. That's the only way the avatar chain can be broken is if he's killed in the avatar state, he can technically be killed at any time besides that. So he does find himself in mortal danger other times during the show. We're just worried about the ending of the, of the avatar chain itself. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. But I I think my, I think the point kind of still stands where I I feel like this was kind of a thing that at least maybe I just built it up more in my head, but I thought it was going to become more of an issue. And the only time that that whole um, weakness that Aang has or that the avatar has was really exploited was at the ending of season two. And it was kind of resolved off screen, almost kind of in between seasons where we see uh, Katara kind of healing him with his, his, her holy water. Um, But then by the time season three starts, he's, I don't know, maybe a little injured, but he's back to being okay. Um, I think that might've been more dramatic if we had not been like benching it. Maybe. If we had (laughs) had to wait and see what happened. Yeah, that was a good point. The wait between season two and season three was pretty long. And, uh, and it was, it was like, people were like, oh my goodness, is Aang going to ever be able to go into the avatar state again? And how the heck is he going to defeat the fire Lord without that ability? So so game of Thrones spoilers, but maybe this is me having to wait for in between seasons six and seven of game of Thrones versus people that was just binging game of Thrones. If you're game of Thrones fan, you'll know what I mean, but I think I can kind of understand that because that way it was terrible when we didn't know what was going to be resolved. But for people that were binging it, they just wait 30 seconds until the next episode starts. <laughs> or to find or out. another good comparison would be like Sherlock too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. When, when, when Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. Let's not do spoilers for Sherlock, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. But anyway. for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So any other thoughts on season two? It's good to move on. I remember being a little bit, um, it's hard to put my finger on it. I want to say let down a little bit. I guess I wanted a little bit more. um, I mean, I guess there's, I wanted more consequences to Azula hitting him with lightning. I guess I kind of felt like, dude, you don't walk away from that. You know, I, I remember feeling like, oh, I guess he's fine. You know? And and like he, he, his shock locked or whatever but that's not because of Azula so I guess I felt a little bit um disappointed in that I thought it was really kind of a powerful thing though for Katara's um character development that she had to make the choice to use that water on him in that moment um rather than use that she was just about 
to give to somebody else. And the like, what if uh, she had used it on Zuko? And then, you know, kind of a thing. I thought that that was really, oh, good thing we got out of that kind of a thing. But I also, I also feel like that's very much a moment for Aang, um, which is like a coming of age moment for him. I mean, it's a horrible coming of age, but like, it's, it's very much Aang is not a kid anymore. Um, because, because he has been through major trauma now, not only a near death situation, like literally died. And, uh, and so that's, it's a really coming of age thing for him where, so that when we transition into season three, we know that like, he's, he's, he's been through some stuff now, you know, like when he, when he wakes up, yeah, he's not invincible. He's not this, he's not this innocent, playful, fun little kid anymore as he was. Um, he knows that this is a serious thing. And when he wakes up on that fire nation ship at the beginning of season three and his hair's grown out and he's got a big old scar on his back and he's got bags under his eyes, you're like, Oh my goodness. Aang is, has done some growing up in a hard way. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the last thought on season two I had was I really appreciate the world building in season two. I thought that they took time to really flesh it out through getting exposed to bossing say and through traveling throughout the earth kingdom. And I just felt like it became a world versus a path. If that makes sense. Totally. Like I felt like season one was a path that they were traveling down. Whereas I felt season two was a world that they were exploring. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move on to season three and we're going to skip through kind of the, um, some of the plot points at the beginning to, so that we can talk about the ending more. Um, but so they go and they, they spend a lot of time in the fire nation in season three. And we start to get the idea that the fire nation is more, it's not just like made of evil people, right? Like yeah. that there's actual, um, you know, school, like, uh, Aang goes and spends some time in a school and they go and they play some tricks on the residents. They even liberate a, uh, a little village from kind of like tyrannical oppression with the factory and dance party. They have a dance. Yeah. They have, they they have they a footloose have, moment. Have a footloose moment. Exactly. <laughs> um, I was, I was going to say in regards to that, if you go back and rewatch the show, I don't know if that was actually a plot point that they intended was to humanize the fire nation either. Um, and because when you watch the first two seasons, um, fire nation soldiers all look the same. They all have the same voice. They're all just very much like the brutish evil uh, faceless guy with the mask on or whatever, or they're dumb or they're, you know, whereas when you, when you get into season three and they go to the villages you start to see, you know, there's a there's a sword master who teaches who teaches Sokka. There's there's these kids that are just like them. Um, they they might do things really differently. It literally is like traveling to the other side of the world. Whenever we um, watch season when we watched season three this last time around, I told Brooklyn because we lived in China um, for three months in 2018. I said the Fire Nation reminds me a lot of China, and in the fact that it's like things are very different. They're like everybody eats meat here. And it's all they eat, you know, it's so different. And like, and the, and the schools are, are different than the way we go to school and the way people dress is different, the way we different than we dress. And yet they're so human like us, they're just like us in a lot of ways, you know? And, and 
so so I, I love think it is intentional. Yeah, I think that they purposefully set up the audience to think that the Fire Nation is all the same, so mm-hmm. that they can then break down that wall. Okay. Um, I can can I add a few things to the to yeah. the storyline here? Um, just that, like one like kind of hard moment for me is that because I'm I was thinking this the whole time. So, um, so. In the second season, they're going to, to you know, they go to Bossing Say, but the reason they go to Bossing Say is because they find out about this day called the Day of Black Sun, right? Which is when there's this solar eclipse that that um, that you know the sun isn't shining because it's blocked, um, and so the fire the Fire Nation won't have power. So therefore, they can go in and you know invade the Fire Nation, and they can they can win. That's like their one shot at winning the war, right? So they go to Bossing Say to make that happen. And it's a complete fail, right? And that's where we end season two, right? But then in season three, you get this classic moment where um, where we start getting everybody that we've seen in the show so far. Um, not you know not everybody, of course, but a lot of major people in the show so far that have that have you know made a difference in Aang's life and in the life of um, the lives of Team Avatar. And they start to come together, and they're like, okay, this is all we got. Like this is this is us. And even though we're small, like we're going to do as much as we can. And then, and, and it's crazy for me. Cause I, I don't know about you guys, but the first time watching it, you're like, okay, like the, the, they're invading, right. The day of black sun, like, but it's only like the third or fourth episode of the season or whatever it is. Right. And of uh, the third season, you're a little confused. Um, and it starts to go so well, right. Really well. And, um, and then, you know, you find out that the fire nation knew about it the whole time and, uh, and Azula's there and, and everything. And it's just, yeah. And Ozai's gone. Yeah. 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 It's so true. Cause that, that is kind of the feeling that you get when you start that. Cause you're like, are they going to finish the show really quickly here? What's going to happen? And you don't see that big twist coming. It's true. But then you also feel super disappointed with them when it didn't work out. You're like, Oh, what are they going to do now? You know, They've been building up the whole show. That. Yeah. To this yeah. invasion. And then you're like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and true. I have to say that they keep they keep cutting off people. Like, like at the end of the second season, you're like, okay, so they don't have the whole Earth Kingdom to help them. That was a fail. And then you're like, okay, good thing they got this group of people. And then by the end of that episode, then you literally just have Team Avatar again. And then a few of the older people and stuff that went back to the Air Temple with them. So that makes it so interesting because they keep making it smaller and smaller again, even though they kept trying to make it bigger. That's true. I think that this was the best part of the show for me, was the the failure to invade the Fire Nation. I think that um, it really gave the show a lot of heart. I think it gave them a chance to uh, kind of reset and have the um, ending that they needed to have with them rebanding as a team and uh, and developing and finishing finish developing their relationships. And I just thought it was wonderful, a wonderful and brave decision to make from the showrunners. I think that that was a really brave thing to do for a kid's show to have them fail, fail so spectacularly and have some pretty big consequences for it. it I totally agree. And you also get the, uh, the fire nation prison episodes as a consequence of it too, which are oh, yeah. really good episodes. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is that it's not until after this, that Zuko turns sides, which we wish he had a little bit longer with them. Yeah. So 
So yeah. here, go, go ahead, Preston, because I'm going to go on a rant a little bit. Oh, it's Preston. I was just saying, I one of my biggest criticisms of the show is I want more of Zuko with Team Avatar. And I get why you can't, because so much of his journey is his process of getting there. But I like want a whole more, a whole other season with Zuko with them. I want to see more of Katara and Zuko, more of Toph and Zuko. Um, Josh, can I say one thing before you say that? It's yeah. what Brooklyn said. So yeah. kind of going along with that, Brooklyn, it reminded me that this failure of the invasion was, it was crazy because you think it's Aang's day, right? You think it's Aang, like in his day to defeat the Fire Lord and for this to end, right? But it's Zuko's day to tell his dad that his dad is, is his yeah. dad's opinion isn't what makes him him and isn't what makes him successful. He is going to make his own destiny, make his own honor do his own thing and, and, um, and do good and, and do it actually. And I just love the moment when Zuko, you know, you think it's supposed to be this epic battle with Aang killing the Fire Lord or whatever's supposed to happen. Right. But it's, but it's Zuko telling his dad that, Hey, I'm going to follow my destiny. And my destiny is to help the avatar kill you. And, and the Fire Lord's like, why don't you just kill me right now? And, you know, like fight me, whatever. Right. And, um, and, and he's like, that's the Avatar destiny. He's like, I know my destiny. And for him to say, I know my destiny in front of his dad yeah. and then to walk out, that, that moment, moment literally, that moment, it was one of the moments in the show that had me in tears. So to see yeah. to see that happen was just amazing. And so that, you think it's supposed to be Aang's moment that day, but it's totally Zuko's day. Totally. The fact that he breaks away from an abusive relationship that he's been in his entire, his entire life. Um, I thought it was a really powerful um moved by the writers of the show to not redeem Ozai either for us, um, that you see that some people are irredeemable while others are redeemable um, with Zuko and the fact that like, you know, he didn't have to hold on to an abusive relationship there either. So I love that. You're right, Branson. It's totally Zuko's day there. So I, I a hundred percent agree with you guys. I love that moment with Zuko and Ozai, but I think that later on in the season and forgetting how many episodes later, but it was revealed that um, when it was revealed that the fire nation was going to invade the um, earth kingdom and burn everything down, right. That they were basically just going to go destroy the whole world. Right. That, and uh, you get the Phoenix motif and all that. But I think that they undercut Zuko's development and his big moment with his dad by revealing that he made the decision to leave when he went to that war council and found out that, that, that they were going to go destroy mode, destroy mode on everything. Why do you say that? Yeah. Explain. Well, because you get the whole feeling that, okay, Zuko's changing sides because now he knows his destiny and now he's confident enough that he can uh, not do what his dad wants and he can uh, follow his own destiny, right. And make, make his own destiny. And that was all really powerful, powerful. And everything that Branson said, and that you said precedent is true, but then you find out that while what pushed him to that point wasn't really a moment of self-discovery, it was a moment of realizing that his dad was insane. I see where you're coming with this, Josh, but I would say that they are tied. Yeah. And I think that his, you know, he hears the plan in the war council and he realizes in himself that that is not something that he can allow to happen. So it's like, my dad is insane. And I can't continue to be in this room, figuratively, in this room. And I need to do something else with my life. I'm not happy with this. I need to go and tell. I think that 
I think that it is, uh, uh, it's the catalyst to his decision. I don't think it necessarily undermines his self-discovery. Yeah. And just the whole, the whole element of having your paradigm challenged so much and the cognitive dissonance of like deciding whether you're on the right side or not him, him having to decide, you know, cause you're right. It was a pretty clear choice at that point, but it wasn't a clear choice for everybody. Azula as insane as she might be, she felt like she's still on the right side um, here. And, and, you know, she's very much connected to Zuko and the choices that he makes because she is an important element of the show because she shows us what he could have become if he did, if he made different choices, I think the whole time. And so I, just to challenge what you said, Josh, about like there not being enough episodes um, of showing like Zuko's goodness and the, his adventures and stuff with them as a good guy. First of all, the graphic novels do a good job of covering a lot of that ground. Um, second of all, the I actually really like that um, that it was so hard for Team Avatar to forgive Zuko because they've been through so much together and you've seen them forgive each other a bunch of times. So it almost feels unrealistic when he comes and says, hey, that they're not just like, oh, yeah, of course, we've been waiting for this moment. But instead, it's like it is actually really realistic how hard it is for them to forgive him. Especially and how, Katara. Yeah, especially Katara um, and the things that you've been through. And you kind of feel sometimes like, oh, my goodness, Katara, let your mom go and the things that they're – but but like – it's so realistic the the things that they when you realize especially that like the whole show takes place in a year <laughs> all three episodes it's really not that long at all um where they've had this huge character arc it's really hard for them to forgive him and when they do forgive him it's awkward they haven't really built a relationship with him at all the time that they spend at the fire the fire nations uh, the, at the fire uh, lord's getaway on the island together training um, it's kind of awkward together. They don't really know how to forge a friendship from what's been a rivalry for so long. And when they, when they do do it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of healing. And maybe there wouldn't have been a ton to, it would have become boring if they, if there wasn't that conflict of forgiveness. Yeah. And going off that Preston, I loved how, and kind of what you said before, Brooklyn, how you feel like there should be more of Zuko with Team Avatar. I love that they they dedicated almost like three episodes to, um, yeah, it was three episodes, to, um, to Zuko with a member of Team Avatar. So instantly, like instantly, once they say he can be part of the group, the next episode is Aang and, Aang and Zuko go on a trip. You know, and then the next one is Sokka and uh, Zuko go on a trip. And then the next one is Katara and Zuko go on a trip. And I and I feel like it was really good that they, did, that they did that. It would leave me feeling a lot like, I don't know, I would get a, a huge feeling of like, okay, we need more Zuko. Like, he, is he really even part of the team or did he just help in the final battle? You know, like, you know, whatever. And And so I feel like it's so good that they put those three episodes in and I love those so much. That's yeah. true. Can I just add, because it's, I don't want to skip it, but I think my favorite episode was the one with um, Zuko and Aang, and I'm just seeing how the the firebending, how it comes from the sun, and like, it just brought in the beauty of firebending, where you'd seen it as like this evil thing the whole time, and it just made it a beautiful thing, and 
when they like learn the little dance and it brings back how he taught the Fire Nation kids to dance. So that's a part of their culture that they didn't even know. And I don't know. I really loved that episode. I thought that was done really well. That's one of the best episodes from Kenzie. You're totally right. Yeah. And I have a theory on that, which I haven't Googled to see if this is true, but the, there's the prince, like the crown, the crown that the crown prince wears is shaped like the mountain of the masters or whatever it's referred to, where they go to, to learn from the dragons. Mm-hmm. So I haven't Googled to see if that's like a confirmed theory, but that's my little theory. Anyway. I mean, it just looks like fire to me, but sure. But it's got the two peaks. <laughs> no, no, just the no, not the one that the uh, that Lord Ozai wears, but the one that just looks like a little yeah. V shape. Uh, yeah. it, it does look like those mountains. Yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah, the mountains. Yeah. yeah, Mackenzie. The whole time, the whole time in the show, Aang is convinced that fire is for destruction because his first teacher that he wanted him to teach him was uh just was just warning him the whole time that it's it's danger like. You got to know how to do it right. It takes discipline, it takes this and this. It's danger. It hurts. It was fear-based teaching. Yeah. 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 Which, which fire can be destructive and can hurt people. But when Aang's holding it in his hands, he goes, like, you can see in his eyes. He's like, I've never thought about this before. Like, this is life. Like, this fire is yeah. living. It's like a little life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like you learn. I don't know. You learn a lot in that episode. I love it. Yeah. I think that it's it's a motif throughout the entire show that those who learn to to not use nature for your own gain and power but rather to help other people and to like connect with it and realize that you're a part of it you know have a have a much better experience with it it's just they're a lot more successful those characters yeah like he already had all these powers in him but he had to find ways to connect with them which is cool yeah all right so let's move into the final act and um, we get Aang having to deal with. Do, do you want to say something, Brooklyn? No, I was saying dun dun dun. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we get Aang having to deal with the fact um, that he's kind of a pacifist at heart, right? He's a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. He doesn't think that he's going to be able to kill Lord Ozai. So he goes out by himself and um, kind of goes on a mission of self-discovery, right? And um, let's get somebody else to explain. Explain the lore and kind of what happens when he goes out. Yeah, right. So, so I I personally love this part because he's this twelve year old boy that just has it in him, like inside his heart, that it's not right to kill someone. And he's been taught by like the monks and stuff, right? Like that, like he he just doesn't want to kill anyone. And can we like also notice that throughout the whole show, no one really dies. I mean, okay, so there's Jet and there's Sparky, Sparky, Boom, Boom, Man, but um. Jet kind of left as like it's like an inside yeah. joke. You don't really yeah, know exactly, but it's mainly because they it's mainly because they didn't want like they didn't want someone to die anyway. So I, I think Nickelodeon didn't allow it personally. Yeah. I don't, okay, that makes sense. But I but I I kind of love it. Um, and so but you get you get this part where Aang just he's like there has to be another way. He's like I know as the Avatar I have to put him back in his place. But I, but I, I don't want to kill this guy, right? And and everyone else is like just expecting him to, right? I would expect him to. I'd be like, I like if I was part of Team Avatar, right? Like just like everyone else's opinion, I would, I would agree. I'd be like, I'd be like, we've been helping you get to this point this whole time, so you can make the final blow, right? And you can, you know, do the do the dirty work, right? And, and Avatar Kyoshi says you have to sacrifice your own spiritual needs for the good of the world. Yeah, yeah. So this is like amazing moment where. Aang leaves, right? And and he he tries to um 
call on his past lives, on past avatars, and what they've done to fix situations. And yeah, Avatar Kyoshi, like you said, Brooklyn, um, was, you know, he, he, she had to, you know, kill someone, um, to, to kind of restore balance. Right. Cause he was stepping too far out of line. And, um, but, but the way Aang saw it, right. We learned about this earlier in, in the show, but like the way Aang saw it is like, oh, she separated the Island and he fell off the ledge. Right. Um, and so that's how, that's how Aang put it. And he's, and then Avatar Kyoshi's like, well, it wouldn't have mattered. He's, she's like, what, what needed to be done needed to be done, you know? And like, and she's like, you have to, yeah, kind of put that aside to, to restore. Yeah, English trying to justify it, right? English trying yeah. to yeah. justify a way that he could kill Ozai and still Disney style, like villain kills himself on accident. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> literally, but literally every avatar he's talking to past life is like, is like whatever you need to do, like put aside your own self-interest, your own, you know, your own like moral good, I guess, in a way. Um, to restore balance, to do what's right, right? And and when 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 he does this, he's always trying to justify. It. He's like, wait, but this and this, you know, wait, but this and this. And they're like, Aang, like, you need to do what needs to be done. And he's kind of left with this, with this, okay, well, you know, and 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 we still don't know, right? And but we know that he does not want to kill him. And I I don't know if that covered all of it, Josh, but but I think at that moment he says, I have to kill Lord Jose. You know, he says yeah. the word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so after this, I think that this is one of the best Deus Ex Machina's that I've ever seen done. Um, with with uh, man, I always forget the name of this creature. Preston, tell what's the name of the lore, the turtle thing? Oh, the lion turtle. The lion turtle. Yeah. So the lion turtle comes through and is a Deus Ex Machina and and gives Aang this power or unlocks this power. And I've heard that this is explored more in in Korra, but allows him to be able to strip people of their bending abilities even though at this time at the time we don't know exactly what um is going on but um ang has done everything that he knows how to do and can't do anything else right he's really stuck and so um but he's determined to follow his destiny and so we get this uh lion turtle that gives him the power that he needs to go forth and I thought that this was magnificently done. I think that other series can take notes on how to execute um, this trope um, and how to do it well. I think there's a lot of really noteworthy things about it. I think that it is a brave decision on the of the the creatives side to. It's a bit of a risk. Um, uh, to to do things that way, but I think it also makes a statement about. Um, there's more than one way to do the right thing. And that also, you don't have to choose between doing what's right for you and doing what's right for the world. Like, you know, that it's, there's more gray area and that you don't have to lose yourself. I think that's really important uh, for the avatar and then for all of us. I guess I, I also feel like I'll, I'll take that a step further, Brooklyn. Yes, and I feel like it's teaching that there is a better way that we can like build on um, the things that we've learned from the people in the past and take it a step further and say, I'm going to be even better than the people that came before us. Like if we're taking this into, to get a little bit political, to get a little bit like into the issues of today, um, you know, past figures, political figures get criticized for the decisions that they've made because of the imperfect people that they were. And a lot of times we expect that like 
things, there was this golden era of good people who did good things that we need to emulate and be just like them. And we don't realize that we can actually be better than they were because we have more knowledge because we have the culmination of history and knowledge and things that have come before. So, so Aang has this culmination of knowledge of all the things that have come before him of imperfect people who made imperfect decisions. And he says, I, I, I think that there's an even better way. I don't have to kill to get what I, what I need to have done here, but I can, I can uh, also bring peace to the world by peaceful means. You know, that's a totally new idea. Why, why does there have, you know, war doesn't really bring war. It breeds more war. Killing breeds more killing. And for him to break that cycle and say, I'm, I, I, there's a, there's a new way and a better way to do this is really powerful. Branson, it looked like you had something to say. Well, no, I was just, I was looking up the line turtle quote because it's something that we can't really hear super well in the movie, but we're like, yeah, he's saying something good, you know? And uh, I just wanted to read it real fast. I don't know if it's something we want to talk about, yeah. but yeah, it's just, he just says, so he says, and this is as he kind of touches Aang's heart and, and his mind, um, kind of at the same time with his two fingers. Um, and, and you're kind of like, okay, it's kind of this abstract thing where you're like, okay, hey, what is he saying? You know, you know, he's talking about light and dark and beginning of time and like all these things. Right. Um, but I think it's like this really powerful moment. Cause we don't know that he's like teaching Aang this way of energy and all these things. Um, but, but he says, he says the true mind can weather all the lies and illusions without being lost. The true heart can touch the position or the poison, sorry, can touch the poison of hatred without being harmed. Since beginningless time, darkness thrives in the void, but always yields to purifying light. Nice. And then you're just that. like, wait, and then you're just like, wait, what? Like that's, that's so out there. That's no, I'm just kidding. But then, and then, and then we just see like, but then we just see Aang like just change so much. Like he's just filled yeah. with, um, with this courage, um, that he comes back at the end, like a different person. He, when, when, uh, when Sokka, Sokka sees, um, I think it's when, yeah, when kind of the airship goes down, um, uh, the, that the fire Lord's on and, and Aang is there on the rock and Sokka's like, uh, or Toffer, someone asked, what was that? And Sokka's like, Aang's back. And he just looks like a different person sitting on this rock. You know, you're like, that is not the same boy that came out of the ice. Like that is a boy that like, sure. He's still 12, has a lot to learn, but he, he is filled with with wisdom, and he knows a lot of things. And I just, I, it's such a cool moment. Yeah, I think he's thirteen at that point. But yeah, yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> now he's thirteen. <laughs> so probably not the start of puberty, but <laughs> that was that was puberty. The turtle, <laughs> the, the lion. There you go. <laughs> but really, yeah, you can see that he he knows what he stands for. He knows what he needs to do. He's willing to do it. Yeah. That confidence that comes with that. So anyone want to take the last battle, summarize that quickly? I can do it again. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, like you said, Fire Lord Ozai is all about going to just burn down the rest of the world so that they can, uh, um, you know, just that you said, like, like the Phoenix motif, it'll all rise from the ashes as a new reborn fire nation. And he'll be now he'll be like the supreme ruler of of the world. Um, And um, when his plan is thwarted because his his ships are taken out, 
then he's so angry with Aang and they finally have their battle that we've been, he comes out of nowhere, you know, having learned that new power. And, and we, you know, we think that, that it's just, it's exactly the culminating moment that we've been waiting for the entire show, which is that he's facing the fire Lord and they're going to fight. It's going to be so cool. And it really honestly doesn't disappoint at all. It's a really cool battle. It's an awesome battle, especially when he takes and wraps himself with all four elements around him in a big sphere and is barreling along and flying through all of the pillars of stone with it. And it's, it's an incredible moment. Um, but you know, like, like I said, I think that it's really cool that, um, that at the very moment that he is about to do the expected thing, the, the, you know, because what do we all want? We, we all know by that point that Fire Lord Ozai is a dirt bag, like that he is a crazy dirt bag who deserves to die. And all of the voices of all of the avatars say, it, it, it is time for you to get what you deserve and pay the ultimate price. And, uh, and Aang steps in and with what he's learned from the lion turtle with, with the quote that Branson just read and says, no, there's a better way than has ever been done before a higher way, a way, a way, a, a way of light, which is, which is, you know, that, that there is consequences for your actions we're not just going to let you walk away from here and be like, it's all right. Everybody's fine. We're friends. But, but like he, there, he, he chooses a way that, that will bring consequences about, but also doesn't have to be capital punishment, you know? <laughs> so. I, I kind of thought like throughout the show that it would end with all of them fighting the fire Lord together, that they were all going to be helping Aang. And so I love that it was just him in that moment that it really like, it came down to, he was ready. He did have all the things that he needed. He was prepared, even though he didn't think he was going to be, um, that he, like we said, he had that confidence and, and that he ended it and on his own. It was, it was his destiny. It ended up being his alone. And yet they were kind of, they were all helping him in different ways, just not in person. Right. You know, cause you had everybody fighting their own battles. Yeah. And can we like, can we just think about like their heart for a second? I mean, like, like here you have this big, strong, scary guy who knows what he's been doing because he's been plotting this for so long. Right. And he's been working on his firebending for so he's long. Ripped. And, and, yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, he's literally like this shredded man who's who is a really good bender, really good fighter, and also really good at manipulating people and getting what he wants. And you know, and some people would see that as successful, right? You look at you look at him and see his position and and his physique and everything. And you're like, this is a successful guy, right? And you see this like, as Preston would say, now thirteen year old boy, right? No, I'm just kidding. But like, you see this, you see like this this little boy or like this you know young teenager, whatever you want to say. And he, he's learned a lot, right? But really, it's just, it's, it's, you see their heart at that point because you see, like, Aang just wants to do good. He wants people not to fight and he wants there to be peace and he wants people to get along and to love each other. And he, um, and, and so, like, you see, and you even see that when he doesn't want to kill, um, Fire Lord Ozai. When Fire Lord Ozai, all he wants to do is, you know, if he could kill the avatar in the avatar state, like that's, that's his dream, you know, if he could just do that, like, you know, and so, 
So you get him where he'd be like, yeah, I would, I would kill the avatar in, in, in a moment's notice of in the avatar stay or not or whatever. But then you, you see Aang who doesn't even want to kill him, even though he has every reason to, right? We, we see that he has every reason to. And, um, and just to see their, their hearts at that point and just to realize that like the good heart like prevails. Like it's, it's this boy, he's not like, he hasn't been training for years and years and years and he's not this super, you know, what you call successful, but he has a good heart and he, and he wants to do what's right. So he's going to try everything he can. Upbringing as a, with the monks and everything, that everything had prepared him for that moment. I was going to say honorable mentions to um, like, like Suki. We haven't even really talked about Suki as a character and how incredible she is in those last few scenes. She's just an awesome, powerful character throughout all of that. And I was going to say in Toph during the, that final air battle too, is somebody who has to, like I talked about before, has to learn to rely on other people because she's so outside of her element in that final battle. She can't even see because the only way she sees is through her feet and she's up in the sky. And, and like, she's, she's really blind at that moment. And, you know, so many cool things happening in that moment. And then like Katara who had to learn how to forgive Zuko working side by side with Zuko to defeat Azula um, you know, they've all like overcome their personal weaknesses to to be able to have that culminating moment. Okay, uh, just one other thought is just that when the when the Fire Lord all of a sudden just gives up Fire Lord like it's nothing, and then he wants to be Phoenix King, you know, and you look you look at him and you realize that there's you know you just see him and you're like, hey, dude, like no matter how much you keep trying to promote yourself, like you're never gonna be happy, like you're never right, and we just we you can see that and. And so I, I, so I love like, like I, it's like, can't you just be happy? Like where you're at. Right. And can't you be grateful for what you have? And Zuko totally is so grateful for what he has and makes the most of right where he's at. Um, when, when it, you know, when it comes this time, as we'll probably talk about in a sec, but. Okay. So, um, have we said all the good things we want to say? Cause I have a critique. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So this is going to be my main critique of the series. And do you remember like what, what Sokka comes up and says right after they defeat the Fire Lord? I don't. What did he say again? He comes up and it's either Loser Lord or Lord Loser and like makes a funny face. And I think oh. that my, my least favorite thing about the series is the humor in it. And um, I know that that's like, um, I think that that's the thing that was really meant for like the age group was the humor. Right. Like it was meant to make 10 year olds laugh. And I think it would succeed in making 10 year olds laugh. So I don't want to say it's like a straight up negative thing or it was done poorly, but it wasn't to my taste. And so I'm recognizing that this is my, uh, my taste thing. I'm not trying to say it's like objectively bad, but I think that a lot of times um, humor was used and it kind of took away from more serious moments and, um, and it was just used not very effectively. Um, I would venture a guess. I'd be interested to see a poll on this subject. Yeah. I'd venture a guess that you'd be in the minority there, uh, Josh, although I do see where you're coming from. And we talked a little bit about this leading up to doing this show too, where Josh challenged this idea and said that maybe has to do with, well, I challenged it on my own. You know, I, I watched this the first time a long time ago maybe it had to do with when I watched it at that moment in my life. And maybe if I'd watched it for the first time as a, a, you know, 20 something year old or 30 something year old that like, I would 
then not find the the humor is funny. (laughs) Um, But like, I don't know. I feel like even when I watch it as an adult, I still think it's, it's pretty funny the whole show. Um, But I, when you even said that I was trying to think if there was any jokes that I was annoyed by or like that were, there's definitely but, some that I don't love. I uh, the the dad humor is strong in this show. <laughs> Which, but I love the dad humor. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a little much for me. Uh-huh. But I uh, but I don't like dislike it as a whole. Yeah, I think I got more used to the humor as we went along. At the beginning, when I didn't really know the characters, it just was not very funny to me. And then there were definitely some parts that I laughed throughout, but it wasn't like we wanted to watch the show because we knew it was going to make us laugh. Like we, we definitely were watching it for the story, not because it was funny. I think it's, it's definitely a secondary element for sure. But I think it's also kind of important when you're dealing with life or death. I mean, they're kids, you know, and ultimately it's geared towards kids. And I think that Josh, you say that it distracts from the serious moments. I would say that that's the goal to lighten the mood. I think if it had, Felt funnier than it would have been. Like, <laughs> yeah. like funny to us. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> like adventures, like it's like funny in the serious moments, and it's a good thing. But the, I don't know. To, to validate you, Josh, the I know the exact moment you're talking about with Sokka at the end, and yeah, that part isn't funny. I to yeah. validate you there. Yeah. I, so. I have a hard time with that part too. Yeah, yeah, because it kind of feels. It feels like it feels like we just learned this. Well, and also it feels like we learned we just learned this huge important lesson, and then we take one big step back with immaturity. You know, that's that's what that moment feels like. Yeah. So I get you. Well, it was like Aang was there, but Sokka just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess so. That's the worst of it, and that's like the I think the most glaring example of it. But that was my biggest critique of the show was overall the humor of it. It just wasn't to my taste. And almost as like they're afraid to take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Which, which like I get, makes sense. You're like, you're on Nickelodeon, right? Like Nickelodeon's kind of known for its slapstick humor. At least it was like back in the day, you know, but um, yeah. So it's hard to critique that as like a tongue. And, and, and it's the thing, like, I think anime does that, right? Like they have kind of these outrageous uh, moments that are meant to be comedic. And so maybe if I was more well-versed or more, um, you know, well-versed in the genre, then I might appreciate it more. Sort of. I I was actually going to say it's interesting. Anime for the most part tends to take itself too seriously. That's actually, I I think that's a hallmark of anime. um, And it's a big reason why it gets made fun of. Yeah. Like, like you, you're watching um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Like heart of the cards, guide me, slow-mo, you know, everything's all extremely dramatic and takes itself a little bit too seriously. And so I think Avatar was actually kind of trying to set itself apart from that genre and being like, look, we teach really important life lessons and morals. And yet we also bring comedy on board for the ride. Um, Cause like, I have to ask uh, this, is a question for you guys, the, the facial expressions that they make that are anime, like are those some of the things that bothered you guys? Or like, were those some of the slapstick things that you're like, eh, I don't really care for that? Or what do you, you know, have to ask? I mean, uh, so, sometimes because it usually like accompanied the humor or was like trying to drive the humor home. So I guess in a sense, yeah. But I think I accepted that more as just part of the genre. Okay. Uh, oh, I was going to say, it's hard to think of like 
how they could have done it differently because the humor is such a part of the show. Like, yeah, the way that it's done. I don't know. It's hard to imagine it being any different. Yeah, yeah, Preston, with that being said, I was was just going to say, like, it's kind of something where you have to just, it it happens and you realize it, right? Like, I don't know, there's like funny moments or whatever um, where their facial expressions are crazy. You couldn't really do that any other way Um, in another medium. And you just, you just realize, like, I always, I I like, for some reason, I think there's a little thing that goes on on, on my head every time, like, oh, you know, this is, this is this kind of animation and, uh, and it's, and it's, and it's fine. It's good. I don't know. And so it doesn't throw me off too much. I mean, if that were to happen in another show that wasn't supposed to be in, that'd be a little weird, but. Honorable mention funny parts. You told me that you did like, um, that's rough, buddy. That's a good line. You know, um, did you like, um, cactus juice? It's the quenchiest. It'll quench. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean stuff like that. yeah. There, there's definitely funny moments. Okay, okay definitely in the desert. The, yeah, the, the animation desert. changes. The animation changes even further right there, right? And it's yeah. just like, but it's so funny. Like by then, yeah. you're just you're so I don't know. You're just you think it's so. So, so okay, I, I want to use the the time that we have left to go over and wrap up. Talk about how they wrapped up the characters. So they wrapped up and they made it official that Aang and Katara. Um, ended up together. They shared that kiss. I know that there's a lot of Zakara. Is that the pr- proper pronoun for <laughs> the couple name? The couple name for uh, for Zuko and um, Katara. Katara. Yeah, yeah. So, so were you guys happy with Katara and Aang hanging ending up together, or did you wish that would have gone differently? My first time watching it. I was like, oh, of course, Aang and Katara. Who else would there even be? I really was was uh, um, caught up in that. And watching it again this this time recently, I uh, as an adult, I'm going, okay, Katara is a teenager. She's you know she's she's a few years older than Aang, which at that age I feel like is significant. And when you're an adult. You know, five years is nothing, but when you're a teenager, like that's a lot. It's two years. It's two years. Only two, man. Two years is still a lot. But uh, I, I remember, like, as an adult watching it, I'm going, man, Katara would never have looked at him. He's just a kid. Like, I, I, I feel like Zuko is so much more realistic, and he's so much more attractive. Ladies, am I right? (laughs) I feel like. I feel like part of the appeal, though, is that you're right. She totally would have never looked at him had she not spent all this time with him and seen the goodness that he had and cared for him like a little brother at first and then came to see him as something more than that. But, like, I mean, I feel like we talked a little bit about this, once again, Josh, kind of leading up to this show. But, like, um, I, I we some people feel like it was a pressured decision from Nickelodeon to have them kiss at the end to wrap everything up like as this culminating moment, because we don't get to like see them grow older and see how their relationship could develop. We have to like see them seal the deal. And like, this is, this is going to be a thing. Um, and which I, I personally feel like is unrealistic for the, given their age group, it would have been kind of cool to just see implication that it could become something more. So. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn. I agree with you like totally um, with when you first watch it, you're like, duh, Aang and Katara, right? And I, literally this last time I watched it, I watched it um, really focusing 
on like really like leaving my mind open, just kind of seeing that. So I like, I looked for everything. Like I saw how like, you know, they had, they share this moment where both their moms died, uh, you know, Zuko and Katara, sorry, both their moms, they haven't had their moms their whole life. Right. And, and then they talk about, um, and, and like, you see, I don't know. And there's just like kind of that contrast with firebender and waterbender, like kind of opposites, you know, opposites attract. And, and, and I don't know. And then you see this moment where they're forgiving each other and like, they understand each other. And I don't know. And so you get kind of this, this thing where I start to like, actually really like it. And I'm kind of about Katara and Zuko, but yeah, with, that being, into with, it. with that being said though, if it would have happened at the end, I don't know how I would have felt, right? If that, if that, like, if that happened, I, I don't know how I would have been with, with about with Aang, right? Been like, what about Aang, you know? But since it happened with Aang, it's got me thinking, what about Zuko? And so, so it's kind of like this toss up in the air where it's almost like they added a little love triangle there that, like, I, that li- literally I still think about all the time whenever I watch it. Like, I still <laughs> think about like, oh, like, what if it would have been Zuko or, you know? And, and I feel so much that um, Aang and Katara, it's like a Tarzan and Jane thing where it's like first girl he ever meets. Oh, or <laughs> he's going to like fall in love with her. I mean, they're girls at the air temple, but like not, you know, like he to, to him, Katara is the only girl. So, of course, he's obsessed with her. And I just kind of feel like, well, give it a year. You'll be fine. You know what I mean? It's not that he doesn't really care about her, but I feel like she's so much more of a mother figure to him that it's honestly, like, second time watching, it's almost weird. It's almost weird, especially when he tries to, like, force things with them earlier in the show and, like, kisses her and, like, goes in for a kiss. Well, granted, they were about to die. Well, I'm saying saying that kissing you is better than dying. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't get it, but I, you know, as a woman, not a fan of him trying to push her when she was. Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn, I'm with you there when they when they kiss outside the movie because Aang is confused or like Aang really wants to be with Katara, you know, but like he doesn't, you know, and so he he kisses her. Yeah, the play. Sorry. the, The play. And, um, and, it, and at that moment, you hear Katara say, I'm just confused, right? And like Zuko sat between them at the play. And you get this moment where you're like, yeah, maybe they should just be good like friends and always be basically like family and she should be with Zuko, you know? And so once again, I'm not saying my opinion is 100% Zuko and Katara, but I'm just saying the more I think about it, the more I have valid reasons why it's something to consider. So I don't so know. I think as a as a first time watcher, I'll defend Aang and Katara. I was rooting for them. Just I I don't know. I like that they were like an unlikely pair because of the age difference. But then like as they spent so much time together, it, like they were able to understand each other well and like really could help each other in ways they that definitely have this special bond. Yeah. yeah. I I was going to say here's just a totally left field thought. Like I said, um with with them maybe being pressured by Nickelodeon to end on a romantic note because literally if you think about it the whole point of the show is not romance. Romance is a side flavor to the show itself. It's not the point of the show. Like how we talked about comedy is a side element and it's not the point of the show too. Um it, it's it's interesting because they used that just like they use comedy to bring in a, a teenage audience and get people to watch. What if they had ended the show with everybody just being friends and there being no romantic wrap ups at all. And they just said, they just showed 
maybe like some of the things that changed in their world because of the choices that Aang made and, and didn't have the whole thing end with a kiss at all. You know, what if, what if that had happened? Maybe the show wouldn't be as successful. I don't know. What do you guys think? I would have loved to see like, maybe like the glimmer of like potential, but not sealing it with a kiss. I would have enjoyed that. I think. Yeah. I think it would have felt weird if it didn't have that closure. Closure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's kind of a hard toss up. I mean, I think it was just like a kind of a, an emotional tie in at the end where it kind of got those feelings coming out, which I think it, it, it made the show better, I think, to have those. Love wins. Yeah. Yeah. To have like those butterflies. I just came up with a better ending for the whole show. What if Zuko was hugging his mom? Yes. Oh, that wow. was the closing wow. the closing shot of the entire show was oh, I, would his mom. Yeah. I was watching for most yeah. of like, how is this wow. gonna what if what if like all their romantic relationships because not everybody has to be shipped they can just be friends sometimes it just were like side things and then Zuko said where's my mother and then he like went on this like you know Ray escapade kind of thing and found her in some little village and then like went and gave her a big hug and that's how it ended. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, Preston, you're, you're going to make me cry, dude. I'm picturing that right now. All right. Well, um, I think that wraps it up. Any last thoughts that anybody wants to make that they didn't get in through the episode? Um, just that this, this is an amazing show and I'd recommend it to anyone. I just had one more thought. I've been thinking about uh, why this has uh, resurfaced. And I think that this idea of um, achieving balance in an uncertain, sometimes violent world is one that is uh, really appeals to an adult audience right now, because I think that is the people who are mostly watching. I think we're watching it in families and we're watching it as adults. And uh, the idea of going on this journey to, fix a world that is you know out of whack i think that it is um it's it's uh one that we can relate to and also one that could be fixed through peaceful means is something that really i think jives with us too because we all want to believe that there could be a, a better way all right well thank you for uh sticking with us throughout this entire episode we're going on over two hours now so i think this might be a fantology record um we probably should have split it up into three <laughs> yeah we might take three seasons for this so if you like what we do here at fantology uh follow us on our socials um you can support us on patreon if you'd like or join our discord to be part of the conversation um and specifically with Avatar, if you enjoyed this episode and want more Avatar coverage, please share with your friends and please um, come on Discord and talk to us about it. And um, if this show does well, then we want to do more. I want to do more Avatar because I've really enjoyed it. So um, thanks for tuning in. And thank you, Mackenzie, Preston, Brooklyn, and Branson for joining me through uh, for this journey. Thank you.